When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In this episode, we look at Shakespeare's body of work, what kinds of plays he wrote, how they've been shared with readers over the centuries, and what makes it so challenging to edit the plays for publication. We talk about these questions with Emma Smith, Professor of Shakespeare Studies at the University of Oxford. Between the start of his career in the late 1580s or early 1590s and his death in 1616, Shakespeare wrote a lot of plays, at least 38 and possibly more, depending on how you count the plays that he co-wrote with other authors. One extraordinary thing is how many of Shakespeare's plays could be considered masterpieces. Many of them have been drawing audiences almost continuously since Shakespeare's death. And today, All of them are performed regularly by Shakespearean theatre companies around the world. Another extraordinary thing is how many different kinds of plays he wrote. Shakespeare proved himself a master of each dramatic genre. One observer wrote, As Plautus and Seneca are counted the best for comedy and tragedy among the Latins, so Shakespeare among the English is the most excellent in both kinds. To get a sense of Shakespeare's whole body of work, we can think about his career in terms of these genres. So I think it can be helpful to look at Shakespeare's career in two decade-long blocks. The first is perhaps from the early 1590s to, say, 1601 or something, and the second, the next 10 10 or so years after that. In that first block in the 1590s, Shakespeare's work is mostly... um, rewriting medieval English history and romantic comedy. There are a couple of tragedies that he writes, but the bulk of his work is in is in history uh, and comedy. The second decade is tragedies. And then at the end of that period, uh, this, this kind of tragicomedy, uh, romantic comedy, late comedy, they've had lots of different ways of talking about it, uh, but plays like The Winter's Tale and The Tempest, which tend to combine uh, some uh, some elements of tragedy with um, a, a more resolved uh, ca- kind of ending. During Shakespeare's lifetime, some of his plays were published as individual editions called quartos. About half of Shakespeare's plays, 18 titles, are published as individual books, those books are usually called quartos, which refers to the size of them. They're, they're small in size, like a little paperback, softback, like a pamphlet. Um, and then those 18, plus another 18, which had not been published before, are all printed together in the first folio, in this big collected uh, edition, a big library book, kind of a doorstop of a, of a book. All those plays that hadn't been published as quartos plays that included masterpieces like Macbeth, Julius Caesar and The Tempest, 
only became available to the world because two actors from Shakespeare's theatre company, John Hemmings and Henry Condell, decided to gather all of Shakespeare's plays together in one magisterial volume. So the first collected printed edition of Shakespeare's plays is a book we now call The First Folio. In fact, it's called Master William Shakespeare's Comedies, Tragedies and Histories uh, when it's printed in 1623. So 1623 is important. That's after Shakespeare's death. Shakespeare died in 1616. So we can't really assume that the organisation or the presentation of the plays in that in that book is is really authorial. They're being presented by uh, other agents to us. What we can say is that one of the things that's important about how to uh, present this big book of 36 plays is by genre, uh, comedies, tragedies and histories, or yeah, in fact, comedies, histories and tragedies. Um, I think it's important uh, as a um, a marketing uh, pitch, actually, to show a range of different kinds of plays, to show that these this is not just all the same, this is a diverse range, there's something for everyone. The first folio and the individual quartos are the starting point for the copies of the plays we have today. But they're a difficult place to start from because when plays are printed more than once, the two versions are never the same. And uh, for the Plays which, which exist in two forms, in one of those single play versions, the quartos, and in the folio, there are always differences, variations sometimes uh, that suggest uh, adaptation for the theatre, that, that might suggest uh, a mistake or a misreading in the typesetting. Uh, there are lots of different reasons why they might be different. And I think the main thing, the main reason that Shakespeare's plays exist in these different forms attests to the fact that these scripts are alive, or they were alive, they were alive for performance, and that they um, they were they were changed by different sort of performance possibilities. They were not set out like poems or like novels, where the the the, the most important thing was what the author said. They're set out in order to enable performance, which is um, their their first but not their only purpose. For almost half the plays, there are multiple editions of the text. Those editions vary in many small ways and also in some quite substantial ways. Hamlet's famous line, to be or not to be, that is the question, appears in the first edition of the play as to be or not to be, aye, there's the point. And the entire first edition is only about half as long as the later editions. If we want to print the play Hamlet, do we print the early edition or the later edition or some version that combines both? Do we print the word question or point? These are the kinds of challenges that editors have to deal with. So when you read a modern copy of a Shakespeare play, you're getting the end product of a long line of decisions that the editor has made. Decisions about what text to print and how to shape that text. One thing that these indeterminate early texts uh, require, I guess, is for modern editors to do some work to tidy them up, to present them to us. Uh, and that's a great service if you've got a modern edition of a, of a play. Someone has gone through, they've changed and standardised the spelling, they've organised it on the page so you can tell who's speaking and uh, get some sense of what, what the action is that's being described by uh, putting in stage directions. Um, 
what what that does though is it does interpret the plays in some in some important ways stage directions indicate what the actors are doing on stage some are straightforward like hamlet enters or romeo exits but others tend to interpret or answer a question that the play leaves open in the taming of the shrew catherine is forced to marry petruchio one of the play's big questions is whether this marriage turns out to be happy the play doesn't settle the question but sometimes a stage direction tries to at the very end of the play all the characters gather and catherine makes a speech about marriage and then petruchio her husband says why uh, there's a wench and then this a, f- a fam- famous line perhaps for many people who don't know the play um come on and kiss me kate and there's no stage direction again now most editors will put in a stage direction then which says they kiss and that's certainly one one interpretation he says kiss me she does kiss him we still don't know what that kiss means whether it's um you know passionate or reciprocal or slightly um coercive or you know violent there are lots of different ways so these are possibilities that the play leaves open i think because it doesn't have stage directions and while it's really helpful for modern editors to include uh, speculations about the stagecraft which can help us make sense of what's going on in the plays we we do need to sort of look beyond that sometimes and and think well what is that the only way to see this for many pivotal moments in shakespeare like this one there's more than one way to see it this open-ended quality might sometimes seem frustrating but as emma smith explains in our next episode on how to read shakespeare it can also be extraordinarily liberating <laughs>